Very good morning to you, Riverside Community Church. It's always great to worship together. It's always great to gather. It's always great to hear a big noise in the morning as you guys are just so excited to talk about your week and what's coming up in one another's lives. And uh, really, that's going to speak into what we're talking about today. Last week, we started a new series called This Is Us. This is us. And, and the reason why we want to dive into this is because Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. And uh, he had a particular thing in mind when he said, I will build my church. Church is not my plan. It is not some denomination's plan. It's not some Pope's plan in history. It is Jesus' plan A for the world. And in spite of the mess, and in spite of the church's warts and all, God is at work in and through His people. And we want to be able to say, when Jesus says, this is my church that I'm building, we want to say of that, this is us. So some of the areas we're going to push into, you're going to recognize some of these as values that are us, that are Riverside Community Church. And you're going to say, yes, that is us. And maybe we're still going to push into those a bit deeper. Some values are going to be like, well, these are values that we want to say, this is us. These are values we need to move into. These are values we need to push into, even if it makes us maybe a little bit uncomfortable, either as a whole congregation or as individuals, because we want to be the church that Jesus is building. So we can say, this is us. Now, if you missed last week, we spoke about being rooted in Christ because that is where it all starts. We need to be rooted in Him, rooted in His words, rooted in His love, rooted in His gospel, because all other good things come out of that. So if you missed last week, uh, I want to say you need to go and catch up. Not because I have anything awesome to say and, and I feel good when you download our podcast, but rather that's where it starts. It's kind of like watching, uh, coming in and watching uh, the second Lord of the Rings movie without, without watching the first. It just kind of starts going and, and, and if you think that's the beginning, you'd be wrong. The beginning is last week being rooted in Christ. And uh, today we're going to be sp- speaking about being connected in community. And all of that comes out of our being rooted in Christ. So as I was thinking about this, this message, uh, before I really got deep into some of the preparation, uh, I was thinking about community. And, and I know, well, maybe it's just me, but uh, we hear the word community, we hear about church, we hear about being together. And it's, it feels like a bit of a soft word, right? Like, you know, it's just like, you know, love and, and being together and, and kumbaya and, and uh, hugs and holding hands. And, um, and, and don't worry if uh, we, we're not gonna make you hold hands and we're not gonna make you hug people after the service. But, you know, these are the kind of words that come up in our minds and our hearts and maybe fears, right? Uh, but as I started preparing, I re- started realizing uh, today's gonna be a tough word. Today's gonna be a very challenging message for a number of reasons. Uh, the one is because we have a loneliness epidemic in this world. And, and by that, I include people who don't have people around them for whatever reason. And man, I want to say the church community is the answer to loneliness in this world. But sometimes loneliness looks different. Sometimes loneliness looks like 2,000 friends on Facebook. Sometimes loneliness looks like hundreds of followers on Twitter. Sometimes loneliness looks like popularity. Sometimes loneliness looks like everyone is looking to me but we can go home and feel so lonely inside of our own heart. Part of the reason for that kind of loneliness is we live in an age that has this holy cow and the holy cow is individualism or self-expression. Kind of looks like this, just be who you are. 
You are an individual. You're a snowflake. You're absolutely wonderful and beautiful and just be who you are. Now I do want to say, you are a snowflake and uh, you are beautiful and you are wonderful and God has made you in a very special way. Okay, look at your manly husband and and Michelle, look at Craig and say, you're a snowflake, all right? (laughs) Here's the thing. We put the emphasis on I am gonna express myself. We put the expression on me. And, And the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us are not love me and love myself, but love God and love others. And Jesus said, somehow, the only way we find ourselves, this is two, going two weeks back, is by giving ourselves away for the sake of loving God and loving others. And somehow in that space, we will find our individual place and purpose in this world. But because you've got the sacred cow, you know, it's about me expressing myself. If, if anyone contradicts me or if anyone stands in the way of my self-expression, well, we, we just write them off. Right, we get all offended and we step away. We step away and, and yes, I'll still be your Facebook friend, but no longer can I see you in church. No longer can I see you in the street. No longer can I see you in my home. And we can eventually be so self-absorbed. We get so lonely. Now, I believe today is gonna be so challenging, but I also wanna say on the front end, I really pray that it's gonna be an incredible invitation to every single one of you. A challenging invitation, but an incredible invitation. So I'm gonna read a passage. If you wanna turn with me, uh, the words will be on the screen, but it's always great to have your own app open or your own Bible open. Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. If you've been at Riverside for any period of time, you've heard us preach on this passage a number of times. All right, if this is the first time or maybe the second time you're hearing this, man, get out your highlighter, circle, bold, underline. There's some wonderful stuff here. But if you have heard it before, don't be tempted to go, oh, I heard this. Uh, we're gonna take it from a slightly different angle and we're gonna try to take you to deep, deeper depths of the vision that is trying to be sold in Acts 2 verses 42 to 47. So we're gonna read, this by the way is, Jesus has died. Jesus has rose from the dead. Uh, the Holy Spirit has come down. Uh, just empower Jesus' followers to be bold, to preach the gospel. Literally thousands of people come to faith. Thousands of people get baptized. And there's this beautiful new community known as the church. It's before things get messed up. All right. I've often said here from this stage that even in the New Testament, the church got pretty weird. Right? The book of Galatia, they got into legalism. The book of the church of Corinth, they got into just like anything goes, like, you know, holiness out the window. And before all of that kind of stuff happened, uh, there's this beautiful picture of this church and a vision for us. So Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miracles, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes, temple courts and homes, big meeting, small meeting, big group, small group. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. There's something compelling about this picture. There's something about when we get this kind of community right, something about addition, something about God working in our midst, something about the kingdom advancing starts to happen when we get community right. So, so look, that was 2,000 years ago. But Steve, here we are. We're in January 2019. We're in the age of the internet. We're in the age of fiber. We're in the age of online TV. We're in the age of iPhones and podcasts and, and, and you know, uh, YouTube. And therefore, it becomes so easy to kind of think that life exists on the screen instead of life exists when you and I engage with one another in the flesh. Again, just part of leading us towards loneliness that lie that we believe. By the way, what it means, if you haven't figured it out, is that if you have a smartphone, if you have YouTube, if you have the internet, you can download and listen to guys who preach way better than I do. Maybe you hear me quote someone like J.D. Greer or, or uh, uh, Craig Rochelle, and you're like, oh, let me go find their podcast. And you're like, wow, this guy's way better than Steve. All right, and you'd be right. Oh, they're gonna listen to him rather than Steve. All right, and, and it's so easy to do that. What you can also do is you can go onto the various digital platforms and you can listen to world-class, anointed, brilliant, beautiful, wonderful worship. And so you can be like, okay, well, here I am. You know, what is church? Well, church is preaching and worship. This is something we begin to believe. Yeah, so I can have the best preaching in the world, the best worship in the world while working out on the treadmill. Right, or, or while sitting on the couch, or while driving. Who needs to wake up and come to a gathering on a Sunday or a Wednesday night or whatever? Because we go, oh, preaching, word, got it, got the best. If you believe that, then we start to isolate ourselves from a gathering such as this. See, here's the thing. I mean, we can listen to the greatest podcast, the greatest worship. I mean, the thing about online worship is, you know, when they record these guys, there's this beautiful thing called auto-tune, which makes everyone sound wonderful. All right, so you're listening to Chris Tomlin or Hillsong or Bethel, and there's no feedback because they're not in a church a school hall. Right? And everyone's singing perfectly in tune. You're like, oh, this, this is wonderful. Man, I love Jesus and I love iTunes. Right? So that's how we start to live our lives. Now, for some reason, this digital world is not the only reason why we kind of step away from community. For some people, it's kind of the, the genuine loneliness that I spoke about. There's no one around them calling them in. For some people, it's, well, I've been hurt. For some people, you know, there's too many hypocrites in the church, which I've said before, is like not going to gym because of all the unfit people. Right? But no, it's the hypocrites or I've been hurt. And we've all got our own story as to why church community is challenging and why I'd rather step out than step in. That's why today is gonna to be challenging and an invitation. So I have 10 points this morning. And because I had 10 points, they're not rhyming. They don't all start with the letter P. Um, and hopefully we'll be done by about 12.30. But anyway, let's go. Uh, point number one. Here's my points for this morning. I wanna show you what you lose out on by not being part of community. Whether it's by committing to some sort of online version. And let me just quickly say something. There are some churches that have gone for some form of internet church, just filming their services and putting it online. And we're like, oh, that's not the real church. And I would agree with you. But for some people, man, if you're living in Pakistan or if you're living in Syria, sometimes that's the only church they've got. 
And most of these churches that have some sort of online platform, that is where they're making the biggest kingdom progress. So let's not get too excited. But for those of us who can worship in freedom and gather in freedom, what do we lose out on by not committing to community and connecting? So number one, you lose out on fellowship. You lose out on fellowship. In the opening verses of today, it says that the believers, that's you and me, were devoted, that means priority, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, that's last week, and to the fellowship, that's this week. Now the word fellowship is one of those words that for most of us, we, we kind of know it's a Christian word. Now we've got the men's fellowship and the ladies' fellowship and life group fellowship and Sunday fellowship, but no, we don't really know what it means. Kind of means it's got something to do with us hanging out, but you know the word fellowship, I mean, it's so rich and so beautiful. In Greek, it's the word kenonia. And what it refers to is our mutual participation in something. And when it comes describing the church as a fellowship, it's describing our mutual participation in Christ. You're participating in Jesus. Last week, we rooted. I'm participating in Jesus. And you are, and the person behind you and in front of you. And because you're all participating in Jesus, we have fellowship. Here's the thing, fellowship is so much more than friendship. True biblical fellowship. You see, fellowship requires we actually participate in the thing. Some of us know fellowship in another form. So we might have a group of friends, we mutually participate in golf, we mutually participate in online gaming, we mutually participate in music. But in order to have that friendship, we need to participate in that thing. You can't be part of a mountain biking club that never goes mountain biking. All right, imagine, imagine uh, I mean, apparently this has happened a number of times. Johnny Clegg's gonna have his final concert ever. So all the Johnny Clegg fans are like, I'm gonna make sure I'm there. I'm gonna make sure I get early tickets. And you start talking about this thing that you're excited about participating in. You start discovering, wow, in the ticket queue, oh, some of your work colleagues, are, you also like Johnny Clegg? Yes, oh wow, you start, you, know, you start participating in Johnny Clegg by getting excited about it. Now imagine everyone is so hyped, everyone is so pumped, everyone is so excited, and you get there and you start seeing a tennis match. You'd be like, what? We came here to watch Johnny Clegg. I mean, you'd go home and maybe you have a couple of you know, uh, friendly moments with some people, but you haven't participated in the reason you came. For some of us, I think friendship looks like that. Yes, we participate in some of these other activities, but we're not participating in Christ together. That is why in a large gathering, there's something so powerful in worship as you and I participate in the Spirit in Christ as we worship Him. There's something so powerful when we're participating together in His Word. There's something so powerful like the week of prayer and fasting, we're participating in getting in on our knees. But also when it comes to our friendship circles, Fellowship deepens and gets more powerful when we participate in Christ together. That's the power of life group, the power of Christian friendship. That means not just talking about the other stuff, which is awesome, but I mean, are, are we talking about Christ? Are we talking about His words? Are we talking about His works? Are we praying for one another? Are we participating in Christ together? Something awesome happens when that happens. And you cannot do that on a treadmill. doesn't matter how awesome the worship is on your headphones. All right, number one, you lose out on fellowship. 
Number two, you lose out on service. And I mean that in two ways. The one is being served, which we're gonna talk about a bit today, and serving, which we'll talk more about in a few weeks' time. You lose out on service. Just, just, just briefly, just to talk about this. I mean, this, and what I mean by this, I, I mean, th- this doesn't happen. What hap- when, when we arrive here on a Sunday, it's not like all the chairs are laid out. All of our guitars are here and ready and in tune and ready to roll. So the coffee magically kind of brews itself. This doesn't happen. The way you get your coffee, the way you get a seat under your bum, the reason you don't sit on the floor, the way your car is secured and looked after, the way your kids are being discipled, the way worship is facilitated, the way you get your brownie, the way you have a welcoming presence, the way our finances are managed, and I could go on and on and on, is because God has taken ordinary people and given them an ability that He uses to serve you. That doesn't happen in a lounge. It doesn't happen through a screen. It happens when we are, thank you so much, John. That happens when we are mutually participating in a community. We are connecting. See, you, get, you rock up at a life group. It doesn't just happen. Someone decided, we're not gonna watch Netflix tonight. We're gonna open our home. You know, and at a real financial cost to ourselves, we're gonna cook for you. We're gonna provide coffee and muffins and sweets or cakes or somebody else makes some cakes and brings it and somebody else prepares the lesson and and other people give up their time uh, uh, between life groups and between Sundays in order to serve you. And that is this picture that cannot be experienced in any other way. You see, we worship a serving God. We worship a God who gives of Himself. Paul writing in the book of Philippians, he says in chapter two, he says, your attitude... That's Steve, that's you. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And as we're gonna hear later on, we are here, because some of you are like, look, I only serve my neighbours. I only serve the people in my community. I only serve the people out there. And that's a few sermons time. We absolutely need to be the kind of community that serves our world. But we're also called to serve the body. We're also called to serve one another's kids, to serve one another's hearts, to serve one another's needs. And something incredible happens when we serve. And if you're not connected, you lose out on service. Number three, you lose out on care. The, the kind of traditional mindset, um, some of you maybe grew up in this environment. You know, church is 50, 60, 70, 80 people strong. And there's a guy, so you call him a pastor, you call him a minister or a bishop or a priest. And his job, he's the professional carer. His job is to care for me, right? And then the church becomes 80, 100, 120. And this guy's running around, not spending any time with his own family, not nurturing his own life. And he's running around after everybody else. And everyone's like, oh, you never got to me in time. Oh, you didn't care for me properly. So you make him work harder. And then we get to 200 people, 300 people. Oh, we're gonna pay more professional carers to care for me. That's a traditional mindset. What is the biblical mindset? Now, let me say church leaders need to be caring people. They need to ensure that the flock is nurtured and cared for. But the biblical picture of care is Acts chapter two. Here's this community. They're looking out for one another. They're looking after their needs. They're sharing what they have with other people. In fact, there's these stories that start going around oh wow, Michael sold his third car in order to help another family in need. 
Oh wow, so-and-so sold their, you know, their expensive stamp collection in order to help another family in need. And these stories started going around to the point where Luke started saying, this group of believers, man, some of these guys were so sacrificial, they gave so deeply of themselves as they cared for one another. Here's another verse that describes the same impulse within us. Galatians 6 verses two, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the laws of Christ, the law of Christ. And guys, here's why we need to gather in temples and in homes. Here's why we need to gather together on a Sunday and in homes. See, we've got this thing called life groups. It could be called Bible study. It could be called small groups. The point is, this is not a program that we try to fill with numbers to make ourselves feel good. We believe that life groups is, at the moment, the best way we can be into one another's homes and fulfill the law of Christ. See, in a life group, you've got four people, six people, eight people, 10 people, 20 people. And we come together and we start to hear stories of, um, you know, we're sitting there and we start to hear, wow, you mean your marriage is not perfect too? You mean, you mean sometimes you love your kids but don't like your kids? <laughs> I thought you were the only ones. All right, you had a fight on the way here? <laughs> Us too. You start to realize you're not the only crazy people in this world. But then the moment comes when you get the confidence to say, guys, our marriage is heading towards the rocks. We need you. And people who have walked a bit of a road will gather around you. If they don't know what to say, they're gonna pray for you. They're gonna support you. They're gonna make sure that you get through. And then the time's gonna come when your marriage is on stronger ground and someone else puts up their hand and says, guys, our marriage is hitting some tough times and you're gonna say, okay, now it's my turn. I'm gonna come around and I'm gonna encourage you and I'm gonna strengthen you. Guys, I love Sundays. I love the big meeting. It is the moment when most of the church are gathered most of the time where we've got most people together to be edified, where we've got the most opportunity to speak to those who are struggling with faith and maybe asking questions and are either new believers or they're, they're not even sure about this Christian thing. I love our Sunday gatherings, but deep care is almost impossible on a Sunday. That is why we gather as in temples and in homes. That's why we gather in big groups and in small groups. And when you're disconnected from that, I'm just telling you, it doesn't make care impossible, but it makes it so much harder. And that's what we lose out on when we're disconnected. Number four, what we lose out on when we're not connected in community, we lose out on the Holy Spirit. Some of you theological minds are saying, what? I thought we get the spirits when I get saved. And the answer is, yes, you do. As we trust Christ, the Scriptures say that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. As we say, Jesus is Lord, we can only say those words because the Spirit moves into my life. What do I mean by the Holy Spirit? God's presence and power. And when you wake up in a Monday morning, when you get in a car, when you go to work, when you're in the bath and, and when you're playing golf, the Holy Spirit is with you, absolutely. But do you know that most of the time, that the Holy Spirit is discussed in the Bible. It's talking to the church. It's not talking to Steve. It's talking to all of us. For example, when it says, don't you know 
that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Most of us read those words when we're doing the H-E-A-R method that we heard last week. And we're like, yes, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And at that point, we got it wrong. You see, in English, at least modern English, we've got only one word for you, and that's you. All right, so I can say, won't you come and help me? I'm meaning an individual. Or I can say, won't you stand and join with us as we sing? And I mean you, plural. Old English kind of had the word ye. Ye for uh, like the group, you know? So that song, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. It's not saying come one person. Come all of us to Bethlehem, all right? That's what the song's about. We don't have that in our modern English. So when Paul's writing those words, he says, don't you know? that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's actually saying, don't ye know that ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit? There's this togetherness. There's a verse, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, that says this, now to each one, that's the individual, the manifestation of the Spirit, meaning how God uses you and works through you, is given for the common good. That means when we gather as a large group and people have said, listen, I'm gonna come and serve. I'm gonna get up early. I'm gonna practice. I'm gonna lead. I'm gonna lead the church in worship. I'm gonna serve our kids in kids ministry. I'm gonna even just move some chairs around. That the way we understand the body of Christ, the fact that we're all different, God uses us in different ways for a common reason and for a common good, is that it's actually God using my helpfulness. It's God using my musical gifts. It's God using my teaching gifts. And when that happens in a home and people are praying for one another and people are maybe slipping out and prophesying and and praying for healing, we understand as God is the one behind all of that. Which means if we're not operating around the common good, if there's not this connectedness, that means I am disconnected from how God is wanting to bless me through everybody else. And you miss out on that. Number five, when we're disconnected from community, we lose out on support. But Stephen, didn't you just talk about care? Well, let's understand, you know, just for today, care is, you know, I've fallen and I need someone to help me up. Let's understand support to be the thing that helps me get further. When, when people strengthen what I'm able to do that helps me win in this life and in this walk of faith. And we absolutely need one another. A bunch of verses come to mind. Hebrews 10 verses 24. Let us, the community, let us, this is the plural, let us consider. That means I'm gonna think about it and I'm gonna act on it. Consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. There's a story from about two years ago in the London Marathon, uh, kind of 42 kilometre marathon about this guy, I forget his name, David Wyeth. And he was running this race and he got towards the end and his legs just started giving in. And it was just a matter of time before he was gonna collapse completely. Another guy comes in, didn't write down his name, but he comes in uh, and, and he's literally at the point of the marathon where he's about to sprint. He's about to get his best time. He's about to get, a, a, you know, kind of finish this race well. He sees David Wyeth. He stops his race, makes a decision to go and sacrifice his time and put his shoulder under David's armpits and carry him towards the end. Apparently the whole way, David's going, I need to finish, I need to finish, I need to finish. And this guy's saying, you will get there. You will finish. Come on, let's do this. See, when you and I finish the finish line of faith, we get to the end of our lives. We're not gonna get there 
because I listened to a podcast on the treadmill. We're gonna get there because real flesh and blood came and put their shoulders under my armpits. And when I was weak, they helped me get there. And when they were weak, I helped them get there. We're gonna get to the finishing line because of the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We miss out on that when we're not connected. Number six, we lose out on love. Love. Again, kind of a bit of a, Word that has maybe lost a lot of its meaning. How many of you have either been to a wedding or at your own wedding, either had 1 Corinthians 13, in you know, the famous passage, love is patient, love is kind, uh, um, either sung, read, or preached on? How many of you have been to a wedding like that? Okay, now, now that's awesome. Um, I have preached on that message at weddings. I have uh, uh, read that passage at many weddings. But what many of us don't know is that that passage wasn't written for weddings. That passage was written for churches. See, the previous chapter, Paul is talking about the fact that you and I together are the body of Christ. Some of us are the hands, some of us are the feet, some of us are the toenail. uh, And as we come together, we're different. We look different, we sound different, we're passionate about different things, but there's this unity of purpose and mission and somehow your differentness plus my differentness means the kingdom wins. And Paul says, And here's what we need. Because man, you can prophesy and and you can nail what's gonna happen in the up and coming elections. And you can say exactly what's gonna happen to such and such a person's life. And and you can perform miracles and people can get healed and you can lead the most awesome worship sets and you can stand up here and preach the perfect message. But if you do that without love, man, you're just making a big fat noise like a car alarm at 4 a.m. So here's the thing, church, Paul is saying, for this thing to work, you need to grow in love. What you need is a genuine love. What you need is a love that is patient and kind and not easily angered. If you're gonna be effective, you need this love. You need this kind of a love, which means conversely, if you're not connected, you're not getting that kind of a love. We lose out. Which brings us to probably one of the most Weirdest things I probably would have ever said from a stage, point number seven. You're gonna be like, what? Okay, here's what we lose out on when we're not connected in community. Number seven, you lose out on challenging people. I was gonna say annoying people and I thought challenging people will find that annoying and write to me and all that kind of thing. We lose out on that. Like now you're Stephen, that's the worst marketing ever. You know, somebody else needs to have that job. This point is gonna feel like me telling you to eat your vegetables, but track with me here. Community takes time. Community takes real effort. Community is hard. One uh, uh, kind of quite famous leader, church leader in England, this is what he described as Christian community. He said, Christian community is doing what you don't want to do with people you don't want to do it with. Now, we're not about to put that onto T-shirts and uh, retweet that kind of thing. Um, but it is a bit of a wake-up call to the reality of church life. But listen to this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 18. God has arranged, there's design, has arranged the parts in the body, that's you, the person in front of you, the person behind you, every one of them, that's everyone here, just as He wanted them to be. So God is up there and, he, and He's positioning people in your life. He's positioning people in communities. Here's how we work. 
we sit in church and we find the family that's usually sitting in front of us annoying, so we move. We're in a life group and there are some challenging people. So we come up with an excuse why we need to go to another life group. We're in a ministry team and we find someone just, I can't work with this person. So we leave. Here's how God works. He's saying, listen, buddy, I want to grow love in you, previous one. I want to grow holiness in you. I want to grow Christ-likeness in you. I want to grow a certain heart in you. I want to grow patience in you. So I'm going to put this family in front of you. And following week, you're like, I'm going to sit on the other side of the church. And whoa, they're also like, oh, let's sit somewhere else this morning. And they sit in front of you. And then you go to another restaurant and they're like next to you. And you're like, what? I want to grow a less judgmental heart in you. So I'm going to put such and such a person in your group. And by the way, if you can't think of a difficult person in your groups, don't look any further because you're it. You don't, you don't get fit by sleeping on the bed. You don't get bigger muscles by using a pen. These things are grown and nurtured in us as the difficulty of being with one another is actually exercised in my life. And we are better, you are better because I'm a difficult person sometimes and I'm better because you are difficult sometimes. That's the way God has designed this thing to work. We miss out on that. We miss out on that when we're not connected. This is a different kind of love. When we hear the word love, we're like, again, puppies, rainbows. God's saying, no, 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 love is. What's the first word? Love is patience. Love is gritty. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love perseveres. Love hopes. Love endures. And that's the invitation for us as even we encounter difficult people in our church. Yes, even our church. Number eight, it's gonna sound so obvious, but when we're disconnected from community, we, lo- we lose out on baptism and communion. All right, the, the way the early church gathered, this group in Acts chapter two, they came to faith in Christ. They heard the public preaching of the word. They were cut to the heart. They came to faith in Christ. They received the Spirit and they were baptized. This is a community affair. Then we've got communion where we celebrate the life, death and resurrection, Christ's broken body in the bread, Christ shed blood in the wine. This was always a communal experience. In fact, the the word communion that we have in our English language is exactly the same Greek word as fellowship. Kenonia. So when we have communion, what are we doing? Well, I am communing with the body of Christ. You're communing with the body of Christ and therefore we are communing together. That doesn't happen on a couch. It doesn't happen through a screen. Ever tries to baptize yourself? Maybe you can, you know, have communion on your own. You can close the curtains and put some music on and light some candles and just be careful no one sees you. They'll think something else is going on. Drink some wine. That's not God's heart for us. That's not how we commune with Him. We do this together. Number nine, second last point. We we lose out on diversity. We lose out on diversity. 
I've heard a number of people say, but Stephen, listen, this church thing, this like organizational thing, this thing with leaders and theology, I mean, I, I don't need that. If I go to coffee with some mates, that's the church. And my answer is exactly the same. That's part of the church, but that isn't the church. There's a difference. See, usually, usually, maybe not all the time, but I reckon 99% of the time, why people want coffee around a table to be church is because they like being around people who like them and are like them. It's an excuse to not deal, if I'm a young person, not deal with older people. If I'm an older person, to not deal with younger people. It's an excuse for us to deal with people of different color, people who think differently to me, people who operate differently to me, people who look and smell and sound different to me. Way better for me to have my mates and call that church. But when we get together in a group like this, when we gather in people's homes and, and God is arranging the body and He's putting people who are not like you in this home, the same home that you're going to on a Wednesday night, suddenly we're faced with the challenge of either letting these things separate me or letting Christ unite me to this person. Guess which one is God's vision for your heart? Galatians 3, 26 to 28. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have closed yourselves with Christ. Last week, rooted in Christ, that's where it starts. Now, what does this look like? Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, young nor old, black nor white, Chinese, Indian, doesn't matter, rich or poor, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And the church of South Africa needs to figure out how to show the world what that can look like. Maybe this is one of those things that we're not doing too well in. But can we be a prophetic voice in this country? We lose out on that. When it's just me and my mates around coffee, or it's me and my screen. Number 10, we lose out on reflecting the gospel. Romans 15 verses seven, sounds so wonderful, it's so challenging. Romans 15 verses seven, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, no full stop, comma, in order to bring praise to God. So if you've been in church for any length of time or maybe this is new for you, but you went to Sunday school as a kid, um, there's a story that is probably one of the better known stories. And if this is the first time you're hearing it, I'm gonna try, just kind of fast track through the story. It's a story that you and I call the story of the prodigal son. So there's a dad, agrarian culture, owns a large property, farming. He's got two sons. The youngest son, he's a bit of a rebel. He comes, gets, comes to a point in his life when he says, I'm sick of dad. I'm sick of my brother. I'm sick of my father's house. I want out of here. The world looks way better. So he says, hey, dad, give me my, my inheritance now, which is another way of saying you're dead to me because you only get inheritance when your father dies, Right. Give me my inheritance now and I'm gonna go out and express myself. I'm gonna go out and enjoy what looks way better than my father's house. So he does. The broken heart, the father gives his son his inheritance. He goes out and he blows his money. And for a short period of his time, he's having the time of his life. Uh, he's got girls around him. He's got prostitutes. He's got friends around him. Time comes when the money runs out. Guess what? The girls and the friends run out too. He gets so poor, so hungry, he gets a job at a pig farm. For a Jew, that's the worst thing in the world. And as a Jewish boy, he's looking at the food the pigs are eating. He's so hungry. He's like, man, I'm even gonna eat that stuff. And then it says he came to his senses. I've hit rock bottom. I need to go home. But in his mind, he's like, I'm gonna go home because I've really messed up. 
that I can't walk in as a son. I can't walk in and pretend like nothing's happened. So I'm gonna bow and scrape, I'm gonna apologize and I'm really expected to be treated like a slave on my father's farm. I'll have an outhouse and, and, and I might see my dad from time to time. He might wave to me from time to time, but that's it, comes home. He's expecting that to be how things play out. His father sees him, runs towards him, picks up his robe, sprints. Not a thing that a Jewish man does. Puts his arms around his son and says, hey son, listen, I know you've tossed name. I know you've spent my fortune, but you are my son. Here's a ring on your finger. Here's a robe around your shoulders and here's my arms around your body. Come, let's go have a lamb spit and have a big fat celebration because you're back. That is the younger brother. The older brother, he's the one who didn't do that. He's the one who stayed at home. He's the one who followed the rules. He's the one who saw his father's broken heart looking for his younger brother all the time and despised his younger brother. He's the one who worked hard, got up early, went home late. One day he's working in the fields, he hears some noise, he goes, what's, what's going on? The servants tell him, listen, your, your brother's back and there's a big party celebrating his return. And instead of going, oh, I'm so glad. Mm, my brother, I can't believe he did what he did. Instead of celebrating his return, he's hard-hearted. Even his dad comes out and says, son, come on. Yes, your brother did those things, but can't you be excited with us? See, when people come looking for a loving God that we're always talking about, when people enter a church community such as this, we've got two ways that we're gonna respond to them. We can either respond like that older brother and cross our arms. I can't believe that you live that life and, and you think you can just walk into a church. I can't believe you smell like that. I can't believe you still got alcohol in your breath. I can't believe you live the life you do. I can't believe you've done the things you've done and you wanna to come to a church? Or we can respond like the father. See, this verse says, accept one another, just as Christ accepted the guy next to you. No, 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 accept one another just as Christ accepted you. You see, the scripture said, every single one of us, our sin, not someone else's sin, our sin separated us from a holy God. And there's nothing, no moralizing, no ladder climbing that would have got us to a point of holiness, to a point where we're now made acceptable in God's eyes. God knew that, so he climbed down the ladder, he got onto a cross, he took my sin and he put it on his son. And then he took his son's perfect life and put it on me. So when I stand confidence, not bowing and scraping, when I stand confidence in the Father's presence, it's not because look how moral I am, look how well I sing, look how I read the Bible, look how I prayed and fasted. No, when I stand with confidence in the Father's presence, it's because I know that I'm clothed with Jesus' righteousness, no one else's. And when we get that, we are gonna accept one another just as Christ accepted me. See, there's no one too weird, no one too stinky, no one too sinful, no one too different that Christ's grace has not covered. There's a phrase we use here at this church. God's grace accepts scandalously. The world should look at God's grace and say, that's unfair. And we should say, yes, it is unfair. People get to do the most 
disgusting things and come to Jesus and find forgiveness? Yes. Grace accepts scandalously. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. With a few remaining minutes, I want to talk honestly about a couple of things about this being connected in church community. Some of these things we don't get to experience. But if we're honest, plugging in is hard, right? And here's something I found, I'm 39 years old, that the older I get, the harder that is. Uh, there was a time in my early 20s that um, I was in a band, I mentioned this before, and the guys in the band were my closest friends. We we're all kind of one another's best men and all that kind of thing. So we were rehearsing a couple of times a week together. We were gigging together. We were traveling to other cities and other festivals together. We were going on a holiday together. We actually liked each other, so we hung out together. Uh, most of us went to the same university, so we saw each other there. We all went to the same church, so we served together, worshiped together, we in the worship team together. Uh, I mean, even girls. It was just so hard to be one of our girlfriends because we were so committed to one another. Right, and now, at 39 years old, dude, I never see you anymore. No, we don't say that to one another because we know, man, kids, life, job, man, it's so hard. And think about you. Some of you are at varsity three, five, eight hours a day. Most of us are at work six, eight, 10 hours a day. And then we hang out with those people afterwards. And then we come to a church community and I come late and I leave early and I go, I don't feel as connected to the church as I do to my work friends. Because, because it is hard, it is hard. It is hard to take some of the precious time. But these early believers in Acts 2 were devoted to one another. So in spite of work, in spite of hobbies, in spite of Netflix and other things I'd rather be doing, I am devoted to this community and I push in even when it is hard. That's the first tough reality I just wanna acknowledge this morning. The second tough reality is this. Some of you are sitting here and saying, Stephen, you know what? Points two, five, six, seven, and eight. I didn't feel here. Some of you are like points one, three, and five, and six, and 10. Uh, that hasn't been my experience here or in any other church. And I don't always know what to say to that other than to say, can we put a vision before us that we all push into? So maybe my experience wasn't that. Maybe somebody else's experience can be that. Maybe the things that I felt were lacking, I can push into and be that to somebody else. Guys, the church, since the word go, has been messy. And for that reason, maybe you're like, that's why I don't go to church because of the mess. And I'm saying, man, why do we believe in the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus brings resurrection out of mess. And somehow through the mess of church, God brings resurrected life. So I'm saying the mess is worth it. So I want to pray for us and invite us to a response. There's basically two types of responses I wanna invite us to tonight, uh, this morning. The one is our personal step in. Now, this is gonna involve something tangible. That means twice a month is gonna become three, four times a month. That means four times a month is gonna start including Wednesdays. That means being a ninja Christian, which is arriving late and you know, leaving early so no one sees you, <laughs> It's going to start to become, uh, I'm, I'm going to start arriving early and I'm going to start, you know, getting to know people. 
For some of us, it's gonna mean going onto our app or our website and seeing what life groups are in the area. If you don't even know where to start, contact one of us. We'll help you plug in. For some of us, it's gonna become part of the, the men's fellowship. When there's ladies' events, or I don't know anyone here. Well, I'm gonna plug in there. Maybe inviting someone for coffee, starting a friendship, risking, inviting a few couples around to your home. Something tangible, stepping in, because it's worth it. That's response one, stepping in. Response two is for us to collectively create the kind of environment that people want to push into. It's our responsibility to receive. It's our responsibility to ensure that people are noticed and that care is legitimately happening in our life groups on Sundays. And as Sean opened up, I mean, Sean had no idea what I was gonna preach on this morning. There would be so different in here. The world would take notice. And that as you live out this verse, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. That is tangibly felt here at Riverside Community Church. So I'm gonna ask, let us stand and we're gonna pray. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands. I'm gonna ask for your personal commitment between you and God. As we do this, Father, we thank you that you save us. But God, you don't just save us for ourselves, you save us for others. You don't just save us so that we can come and consume a church experience on a Sunday. You save us so that we can be participants in living out the gospel as you accepted us I actively accept others. God, I thank you that we've got an opportunity to step in. It might mean saying no to some other good things in order to say yes to this thing. God, I pray for those who have been hurt or have been afraid. I pray for those who have been hurt here or hurt in previous experiences. I pray for those who haven't felt welcomed as Christ welcomes us. And God, I pray that they would just sense your overwhelming healing and, and grace and invitation. I pray for those of us who have been older brothers. I pray for those of us who have welcomed with arms crossed. God, I pray that we just repent. Lord, that's not your heart for your kingdom. We uncross our arms, we uncross our hearts. And we engage those that God is arranging to be part of our community. God, grow us to be the kind of community that reflects your heart to this world. And yes, Lord, as we're gonna speak about in weeks to come, may that flow, flow over, that not only are we that kind of a community, but that overflows to the world. We need your gospel and we need your presence, Jesus, your power in order to transform us. Bring us beyond ourselves for the sake of the kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now's a good time to say, don't run away. Stay. Uh, have a cup of coffee. Maybe speak to someone you haven't spoken to before. Uh, invite them for lunch. Uh, have a good time. Uh, we love you guys. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>